Welcome to the Endurance Cartel Podcast. This is episode number 11. I am your host, Javier Pineda. Today's guest is best-selling author and ultra-runner Christopher McDougall. You might know him for the books Born to Run, Running with Sherman, Natural Born Heroes, and his latest book, Born to Run 2, The Ultimate Training Guide. If you have been struggling with running-related injuries lately, you don't want to miss this episode. Did you know that according to statistics, somewhere between 30 to 75% of runners are hurt annually? That's a huge number of injuries. Some possible explanations might be modern running shoes to stretching, running frequency, weight, biomechanical misalignment, and or muscle imbalance. During this interview, Chris shares some simple solutions that can help you restore your body and get you running again injury-free. Let's get down to business. Chris, how are you, my friend? Oh, you know what? I'll tell you how we are. I'm really good, and I'll show you why. See this GoPro? Yeah. I had it on a wrist strap, and I was using it to go body surfing, and I put it away, and I didn't dry it. And then when I tried to get the wrist strap off, it was rusted on with inking technology. This will never, ever be changed. And this 15-year-old kid at a bike shop yesterday got that rusted wrist strap off this GoPro. So just when we started this conversation, I picked up like a rose. Oh, man, you know what? I want to send a shout out to Gavin at the bike shop for fixing my GoPro. But you tell my darling, I'm pretty psyched because of Gavin. Must be a lot of good things in that GoPro, by the way. A lot of good adventures. Not so many. I'll tell you, I'm not a good GoProer. I haven't quite gotten there yet. Although I put one on Instagram this weekend that I really like, but it took me longer to do that than I think like it took to film The Godfather. I was <laughs> working on iMovie. I'm trying to sync stuff up. So I did one with a group called Black Men Run. It okay. off, yeah. To celebrate Juneteenth. Are you familiar with Juneteenth? Not that much. Juneteenth is basically a celebration of when the last African-American slave got word that Lincoln had declared everyone free. So the last person in America to become informed about the Emancipation Proclamation Mm -hmm. and how they teeth. And Juneteenth is celebrated um, in the United States. And so I got a chance to run with a group in Philly. And I did a video of that, and I'm pretty stoked about that. Otherwise, no, I'm pretty bad. What Pro was, yeah, GoPro was invented when you were running up in Mexico, was it? Or no? It is, but I'm a very slow adopter. Sure. I just don't take, particularly with machinery, I just don't like to have a device that I got to futz with because even like with the interviews, I almost never use a recorder. I would rather take written notes and then go back and check with the person to make sure I got it right rather than record it. Because if I have a recorder the whole time, I'm thinking, is this thing on, man? The batteries die. Did I turn it off instead of on? So yeah, GoPro's been around, but I just haven't used it. I got a lot of fan questions for you. I want to just get to know you as a person and you as the author and how you evolved to barefoot running. The book Board to Run basically created a movement. I remember being at a 5K race and I started looking around me and I just started seeing a lot of people running barefoot. This was back in 2009 or 10. I can't really recall, but it's interesting how it evolved. A lot of people started with barefoot running, but now everything has flipped. We are in the extreme cushion shoes, all these carbon fiber shoes. There's more injuries than ever. Let me just 
state one thing before you get into the story, which is address the whole question about shoes. Okay. Always you're going to have a war between craftsmanship and salesmanship. And craftsmanship is, if you've ever studied a martial art, yep. you go in and you start very simply. And the whole idea is, this is a movement that you have to master. And if you get it right, you can advance. And if you haven't quite gotten it yet, you need to spend time, kind of sit on that movement for a while till you get it right. Yep. That's craftsmanship. And in everything, every fine art, it's about the craft. If you play an instrument, if you do a martial art, if you do a form of dance, if you sing. When you sing, you don't just go out there and go, la, la, la. no, man, you take your time, you master your instrument, which is your voice. You don't just go on an opera stage and start bellowing. Of course. Now with salesmanship, what they're telling you is, you know what? Screw all that shit. Just buy something. Hmm. Take the time to learn the skill. It's you could buy a black belt. You know, that's what the running shoe is saying. Hey, man, you don't have to spend your time working your way up through the belts. Just buy the black belts. You don't have to spend time mastering your voice. Just go to the upper stage. Yep. And when someone gives you a cushioned shoe, what they're telling you is screw the work, screw the education, screw the craft, take a shortcut and buy this thing. And anytime there's a shortcut, you pay the price for it. Oh, yeah. And you pay a price for it. If you cut out all the developmental stages, you pay a price. And unfortunately, what we keep seeing over and over with the running industry is they're selling you shortcuts. Mm. They're selling you like little things. They're basically selling you a, a narcotic, a medication huh. which deadens your foot to the damage that's being done. So you put the cushioning on, oh, it feels great. I don't feel a thing. The impact is still there, man. The shit is still hitting your body. You still feel it. Mm. And so you paid $150 and you got a bunch of foam and you bought yourself a shortcut. And then six months later, oh, why does my Achilles hurt? Why does my knee hurt? Why does my ankle hurt? That's why. So mm. that, that's my belief about this. And it just goes, the cycle goes again and again. Every six months, this is the exciting thing. Oh my God. Like it's carbon fiber. It's shocks. It's some kind of fancy injected foam. And it's six months later. No, no, forget that. This is even better. So that's my rant about the running shoe industry. It's in the market of selling you garbage. Um, as for my own journey, what happened was, like everybody else, I was athletic growing up, played sports, was a college athlete. And then you come out of college and a couple of years later, you're drinking, you're eating pizza, you're having a good time. You're still behaving like a college athlete without the athlete exercise. Heavy, you're out of shape. Trying to launch yourself back into fitness, you paid a price for it because you haven't done anything really two or three years. You're trying to go jump back to the workouts you did as a fit 19-year-old. Now you're a fat 25-year-old. So that was me. I would try to run every once in a while. I get injured. I go see doctors. They would say, dude, you're, you are the size of a human refrigerator. Like, why are you running? It's bad for you. Don't do it. And that was my mindset. I heard it all the time. Running's bad for the body. The impact is bad. It's bad for your knees. You just kind of hear over and over again, running bad. You hear all the time in one way or the other. Even there's a period back in the 90s, early 2000s, when it felt like every article in Runner's World was about the minimum amount you had to run. It's about the maximum you could do. It was about the minimum you could do. Like the least amount you have to run to do a 5K. They run a marathon in just six weeks. And it was always about 
the approach was always that running was kind of this necessary evil you had to do, but whenever possible, do it as little as you could. And that was the mentality. And I absorbed that mentality. The idea that you needed the special shoes, you're probably going to get hurt anyway, that run the least amount you need to in order to get like really ripped abs. So that was my mentality. And then I started hearing about the in Mexico and I'm asking myself, I don't get it, man. Like, how is it these guys, men and women, all ages, are running in warachis that are basically just a sole or just a piece of rubber with a strap and not getting hurt? It doesn't make sense to me because if biologically we are all the same, if all humans are essentially the same, and yet they're doing something that we are not, Mm. what's the secret? And then again, I was seriously curious and did not expect the answer to be running for because the other thing is and you see to this day over and over again people tell you don't picture with your natural running form you wherever you have that's fine we're all an experiment of one i love that phrase man (laughs) one first time for me on that one oh man i'll tell you what open up anything like marathoning book or any issue of runner's world or any of this stuff, any of this, you know, the, the biomechanists are always saying, we're all an experiment of one. What fits for you isn't necessarily one size doesn't fit all. Like, dude, that is the opposite of science. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that was my journey. I went down to the Copper Canyons. I spent time with the Rarabri. I met the Caballo Blanco and Barefoot Ted. And I said, at, at the time I wrote Born to Run, I was very like skeptical, curious, but not at all convinced that minimalism and running form was the answer. My only goal in Born to Run was to say, hey, look, here's what I saw. Seems to work. Let's go from there. Were you keeping a journal while you were there? And what shape were you in? Were you a terrible aerobic shape? Can you hang with them? No, I couldn't hang with them at all. But fortunately, I think... I've got a better engine than I give myself credit for. Hmm. I think that over the years, I must have built a pretty good aerobic base that I could still tap into because recently this past year, I started playing pickup basketball again. And there's a pickup game here where I am now in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's every Wednesday night. And it's high school, college guys. And they play pretty hard two hours, two hours straight. Like they start seven on the pin drop and they go hard till nine. And I started playing in the first couple of weeks I played, I felt like I had to go to the hospital. Like at nine o'clock, I would go home. What happens? (laughs) What? This isn't fatigue. This is injury. This is trauma. (laughs) This is bodily trauma. But then what I realized over time was, yeah, I still felt like crap. But I was able to run the full two hours. And then where I started to then realize is that other guys half my age were getting gassed. And I realized, oh, you know what? I'm still getting down the court faster than some of these guys who are in their mm-hmm. 20s. Um, you asked so what kind of condition I was in. So when I went down to the Copper Canyons the first few times, I was in horrible running shape. I was substantially heavier than I was later. But I was able to keep moving. I was slow. I am ponderous and heavy-footed, but I can just keep the wheels turning. Every time I would pick up any game, 
that has to do with me going multi-direction as opposed to just going in a straight line like it is running, cycling and swimming. It feels like somebody has just ripped my soul apart. But as endurance athletes, we're so used to just going in one direction that once we get us in a different direction and start using different types of energy systems, it feels like death. Here's the thing about it, too. I wrote another book, Natural Born Heroes, where I looked at resistance fighters on the Greek island of Crete. And I was curious about the same thing. So what's curious about Crete is... This island is the only place in the world where the resistance to the Nazi invasion began before the Nazis even hit the ground. Like every other country, France, Belgium, Amsterdam, the Germans would roll in and they would defeat the army and then the civilians would kind of reform and create their own unofficial militia. And then a few months later, they would start to fight back against the Germans on Crete. These crazy ass villagers, like literally as the Germans are dropping out of the sky with the parachute, these guys are going to the barn and like grabbing forks and pitchforks and uh, the grandfather's old sword. And they were literally spearing these guys as they came to the ground. So the resistance began day one. And I was curious about two things. Number one is what forms a society where they all know immediately what they're going to do hmm. in an emergency. And number two is physically how you do this. If you grab a random 100 people from any town and say, okay, now you're going to go out and fight against the Germans. Out of 100, maybe 10 would be able to pull off. 90 would just be physically incapable. So I thought, what is it that this culture is doing? And it's not as if they're all like birds and farmers. So there are people who work in town. There are people who drive trucks and buses. And so what I was curious about is what did they do over time that in the crisis, they were both physically and mentally prepared to react to it. And what I found is that's the thing. Crete has a culture of that kind of multi-dimensional athleticism where you go up into the mountains, where you procure your own, you forage for your own food. Even if you live in town, people go up in the mountains, they'll hike the mountains, spend a day up there, they'll forage for food, they'll carry it down on their backs, climbing over rocks, going through streams. And that is valued and prized. Whereas if we do a 90-minute cardio workout, we think we're freaking Hercules. But yet you can't climb a tree, you can't swim across a creek, you can't pick up a rock, you can't carry somebody on your back. And so what I looked at in Natural Born Heroes is the, the whole culture of natural movements, uh, the idea that there are 10 primary physical human movements, jumping, landing, lifting, climbing, swimming, diving, and that most of us, no matter how fit we are, tend to neglect all those other aspects of our movement. I want to read your book because I read another book, which this guy, I can't remember the author's name, but dates back to 1926. And this guy's writing without any sources whatsoever. And he is convinced that every human being should be able to save their lives in the sense of being able to swim at least one mile. If you are just something happens out in sea, you should be able to run at least three miles. and I think he's mentioned cycling X amount of miles, but it's something absurd. But everybody should be able to pull up their own weight, push their own weight, everything you just mentioned. And our most glorious days as human beings in your 40s, if you get to your 40s, you should be in your prime. This is where you have everything going for you. I'm going to get you the author's name. But the thing about it is I feel that we keep discovering and forgetting and rediscovering the same truths over and over again. And when I start to write about something, 
I'm not interested in what's a hot fad now. I'm looking for something that has really long, deep roots or really good lineage. So when you look at minimalism running, this has been around forever. The greatest athletic cultures in the world have always had the middle amount of footwear and prized the craft of running. With the method you're talking about, natural movement, there's a guy named Georges Hebert. Same thing, right around the same time you're talking about. It would have been in the 19-teens, 1920s. And he created a thing called the natural method. And he wrote books back in the 1920s. Same reason why. He was a um, French naval officer and he was stationed off of the Caribbean Islands during a volcano. And he was watching people trying to save their own lives. And even as he's trying to help them, he realized, oh my God, if this guy could just swim 50 yards, he'd survive. If this person could just climb up on this rock, they'd survive. If this person could just pick up their child on their shoulder, they would both survive. And he just saw tens of thousands of people dying because they lacked certain basic movement patterns. And that's why he created the natural method. The idea was, again, think about this, this is the 1920s. Imagine how much we've decayed in the next hundred years. Or even back then, this is again prior to a time when people had vehicular transportation, when they had food delivery, when they had screens. Mm. They had none of those things. It already as a human animal, we were decaying. Again, this is 100 years ago. Imagine what kind of state we're in now. It's crazy that all these things coming back, ice baths, breathing techniques, yeah. one would think that one is just like it's important to breathe. Yeah, some people are terrible breathers and have to teach them how to freaking breathe. So when you took off your shoes and you started running barefoot, what was that initial feeling for you? What, was there like earth shattering for yourself than putting my shoes back on? Or what was going through your head? What were you feeling? It's a couple of things. First of all, it is a little bit of a bright spot for us, which is that even though a lot of us have lost these basic skills, hmm. uh, that's happened throughout history, though. The reason why certain cultures have hot baths and cold plunges and um, sweat pit rituals is that every culture has felt the need to educate its people on how to do this stuff. So it's not as if a hundred years ago, it came naturally to anybody. The difference was that each society said, hey, this is really important. Like on the Greek island of Crete, it wasn't like this was a, a gift from the heavens. This was a physical priority that those people said, hey, this is important. We got to teach people. So yeah. I call it the art of the hero. On our defense, it's not as if uh, other people are better than us. They also had to be educated. The difference now is we don't value it, but every once in a while, someone like Wim Hof will come along and say, hey, look, these cold plunges and the hot summers have worked for thousands of years. Let's wake up, people. Um, now, for me, if you look at the art of running, again, every major group from the Kalahari Bushmen to Native Americans to, to Indian endurance runners to Scottish Highland endurance runners, they made a craft out of running. People practiced it. They taught it over time. Now, when I was going to start, so I'm down in the Copper Canyons. I see the UV running in their watches. I'm like, oh, I, I want to be like that. But it's not that easy. Big problem is we don't get feedback on what we're doing. So if you are running and you think you look awesome, you got no way of checking. Like you, you can't look down. Once you look down to see what you're doing, first of all, you can't see anything. And secondly, you've already compromised your form by hunching your Yeah. I was lucky though, because first I had Micah Truk, Bio Blanco, 
who took me on a couple of training runs. And the best way to teach anybody is to just go side by side with them. Your body will naturally assimilate. It will try to match what's happening next to you. So Kamaya did that with me. Secondly, I had Eric Gordon, my coach at the time, and now showing me what to do and show me training exercises. But the most important thing was, this is the problem we're in right now, is that we've put such a competitive value on athleticism that if you tell somebody, hey, I'm starting to run, I guarantee you they'll say, oh, are you doing a marathon? You get measured. And that's such a horrible thing. Again, if you start running karate, someone doesn't hand you a cement block. Hey, can you break this block? Give me a couple of years. So luckily, Eric was taking the steering wheel of my training and he was all about the crap. It's funny. Born to Run became known as the Barefoot Running Book, but nobody in the book runs barefoot. Nobody. Ted is wearing Bieber five fingers. The Adabori have their sandals. I was still wearing like Nike Bomeros. I was still wearing thick padded Nikes. The reason why was because Eric said, you got to take this moderately. If you're training for a 50 mile race, you, you can't do both. You can't run 50 miles and radically transform your running form. So he goes, let's take baby steps, get you through a race, and then we can switch you over to barefoot. And that's what I did. Okay. So I have a fan question from Curtis Huggins. There's a quote that says, ask nothing from your running and you'll get more than you ever imagined. And he says, can you ask him to elaborate on that? I feel double-sided with it. Like I know exactly what he means and not a clue at the same time. <laughs> I wish that was a blurb. I wish that was a blurb in all my books. I know exactly what he means and have no idea. I feel like there's a great secret of okay, I'm gonna tell you a weird story that actually Ashley pertains. Uh-huh. So when I was living in Philadelphia a few years ago, I was working as a freelance journalist. And a friend of mine was telling me about this girl who had just moved to Philadelphia from Hawaii. And my friend was telling me that, yeah, she came from Hawaii and she doesn't like it here. Philadelphia's cold and she has all the wrong clothes. She really wants to be back in Hawaii. She's kind of depressed. Doesn't really like it here. And in my mind, he gave me no physical details, but in my mind, I'm imagining like a 500-pound Samoan woman. And over the next couple of months, these friends would tell me about this Hawaiian woman. And again, I'm seeing someone in my mind that's super heavy and unhappy. So this went on for a while. And then they invited me to a Valentine's Day party. And they said, oh, yeah, this woman's going to be there, the Hawaiian woman. And, uh, and for months, I've been feeling a lot of sympathy and feeling bad for this poor 500-pound Simone who's stranded here in Philadelphia and wants to go home. According and one thing they, what's that? According to you. So one thing was that she really liked African music and that she was a student of African dance. So I had a bunch of African music CDs from my time working in Angola. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to do something nice for this poor Simone girl. I'm going to bring her a present, try to cheer her up a little bit. So I go to the party, I got my CDs in my hand and I walk into the party and I'm looking around. I know almost everybody there. There's all my friends here and there and I'm looking around for the Samoan. I don't see her, but I see this other completely charming radiant woman who is far less than 500 pounds. And here I am with this gift in my hand, which I'd only brought for the most selfless of reasons. I literally only did it because I felt sorry and sympathy. And I was thinking to myself, dude, 
learn a lesson from this. Do nice things for people because they never know uh, when the 500 pounds of Simone is going to turn out to be a beautiful, lovely, radiant Tilda dancer, who is now my wife and has been for 25 years. That is amazing. Uh-huh. And so the question is, ask nothing from your running. So I asked nothing from this woman when I showed up. I just had the CDs in my hand thinking I was doing an act of pity. And the thing about running is, if you just go out, <laughs> you treat it like the craft. I am here as a student of the craft. I'm not here to run a 5K. I'm not here to lose weight. I'm not here to show off. I'm not here to buy fancy shit. I'm just here as a student of this craft. And if you think of running as being the Mr. Miyagi of the Karate Kid, and you're right. saying, I'm just showing up to paint the fence, man. I'm just showing up to wax the cars. Then you will get more than you ever imagined. However, if you show up like, hey, I'm the Karate Kid, man. I want to go smash some ass. I want to go punch some bullies in the face. You go nowhere. And if you think you're going to dominate this thing, if you think you're going to get a shortcut, you get nowhere. But if you show up going, you know what? I'm just going to go out, see what happens, take my time. Then the flower blossoms. That's such a great story. Wow. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Thanks, Curtis, for that quote. I've met a lot of professional triathletes that have come down to Miami. This guy retired from the sport. He comes in and he's, oh, I'm not doing any running and cycling. Believe it or not, I'm swimming more than anything because I enjoy it. I enjoy going to jiu-jitsu and then a nice long swim. Like you said, once you just put off all that BS that you've been hearing or pressure you've been on to, the sport itself just becomes an enjoyable medicine in a way. It's therapeutic. It's meditative. And hey, man, who could not run forever if you just get all the BS out of your head and just do whatever you love? That's the other thing, too, is that unfortunately, we have this competitive mindset all the time. You hear it a lot when parents are running with their kids and they keep telling the kids, don't stop, keep running. You run the whole way. Why? Who gives a shit? Who cares? Yeah. Let the kids stop. And, but this idea that if you are not uncomfortable, then you're doing something wrong. And here's a Barefoot Ted quote. So Barefoot Ted, he really is an extraordinary athlete. Wacky as he is, he's easy to parody for a lot of his um, characteristics. And you forget the fact that this guy is a really exceptional athlete. And he's pushing age 60 now. Um, wow. Ritz, completely buff. He runs Leadville. He's got a sub 24 hour Leadville 100. And this dude would do it on 25 miles of training a week. And like, how, dude, how do you do five miles a day and run a high altitude 100 miler? And he's, yo, People are always talking about like the limits of what's possible. I'm not interested in the limits of what's possible. I'm interested in the limits of what's pleasurable. Man. And as he's saying, it's probably like rolling my eyes. Oh, shut up. <laughs> but then I started thinking about like, wait, there's something to that. Because if you leave a little bit in the tank, if you finish a workout feeling like you could have done a little bit more, feeling pretty good, then you're geared up to come back. Mm. Next. If you come home, just feel completely blasted. You know, you got to force yourself. Anything you have to force yourself to do, at some point, you won't do it. So, Ted, open my eyes to that is bring the pleasure. If you're on a run and you see like a Mexican restaurant that's serving the horchata, have the fucking horchata. It's the best. Like, never don't have your horchata. People go, oh, no, it's got sugars and I'm in the run and this or that. But you know what, dude? If you stop in the middle of your run, have a little horchata, guaranteed the next half of that run is just going to fly. Yeah, I agree. Come 
Orchatas are the best. I still go to kids' birthday parties and I still have them. I mean, it, I, I, hope you, I hope you just show me the random kids' parties you're not even invited to. Tell me, I want to quote you on some of your blogs. Your blogs are phenomenal. It says, shoes are an accessory, not a solution. The best shoes protect your feet, but stay out of your way. They don't change anything. They don't fix anything. If you're doing something wrong, nothing will buy help. If you can learn how to run correctly, you can wear whatever you please. That hit home for me. And it just goes on with Dr. Lieberman, who I also admire very much in the whole conversation. He's a Harvard professor who ran barefoot all around Cambridge. He basically was explaining how just landing midfoot as opposed to your heel solves a lot of issues. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing about it. There's this constant debate about running shoes. And what I want to get at was, look, once you master the craft, wherever you want, I personally am not feeling like I'm confident in my running form that if I've got too much cushioning, um, if I'm not like getting enough feedback from the ground, then I am very prone to backsliding and my form will suffer. So if I wear a cushioned shoe, so here's an example. Um, there's a pretty nice shoe, the uh, Ultra Escalante. And yeah. it's pretty big. It's zero drop, not that much stack height, really nice wide toe box. And in our new book, Quarter Run 2, we were trying to pick out what's the one shoe we can recommend to everybody reading this book. Hey, if you want to change your running form, if you're trying to rebuild yourself, what's the one shoe we can recommend? So I was advocating for zero shoes. I wrote zero shoes. But Eric Gordon and a bunch of other people I talked to, a bunch of other uh, coaches and runners I spoke to, so you know what, dude, that's too extreme. The Escalante is where you want to be. So I got a pair of the Escalantes and I pulled the insole out and I still feel this is too much shoe for me. Like, really? It feels, I feel like I had one beer too many to drive. You're kidding. Those are because I've seen those shoes and I felt those shoes and those are very just close to the ground. They're very close to the ground, but there's something about the cushioning where I feel like I want to feel like completely in control. And this one makes me feel like eh, maybe I shouldn't drive. Like maybe I should give these to somebody else. Like I'm not drug or anything. It's not like I got a hook on my foot. It just feels a little bit like I keep thinking if I wear these things every day, I will have crap form in six months. That's me. I want to feel everything. And so and it's funny. So you, there's a running route around here that I really like. At one point, it takes you up on the train tracks. So I run on that crushed stone along the train tracks. And um, it's not delightful. I, I'm sure it isn't. To run in a minimal solo on the train tracks. Like you, every once in a while, you get one stone. It just hits you in the arch and you're just like bellowing curses. But I really like it. I feel like, okay, man, like... I'm awake now, man. I am being careful. I am being mindful. Like every step of this run, I am paying attention and to value that. And let me ask you, do you wear any type of technology around you? Garments, polar, nothing. I love it. Do you listen to any? Aha. Uh -huh. I love that. I love that. Hey, yeah. Guys can see this on YouTube, by the way. Why are you asking about the technology, Javier? Because there's a lot of people just so hung up on that. For instance, going back to being competitive, to the competitive mindset. Oh, I ran three miles at such and such pace at such and such time. Everything is about time and limits. If I'm not running with AirPods, for instance, I get bored so easy. Just enjoy the run, man. Why don't you just go out and just enjoy this nice evening run or afternoon run or morning run, whatever it is. So 
What would you recommend? Did you wear anything before? Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's been a gradual stripping down. So when I started, I was so doubtful about all this stuff. And I, I thought, man, these guys are telling me Barefoot Ted and Kabai are telling me I can do this. I don't really believe in them. Eric is coaching me. I have confidence in him. I don't really have confidence in myself. So yeah, I had everything, man. I had, I started off with a heart rate monitor. Eric likes to get you mm-hmm. your heart rate right. pretty well thought out, periodized training. So I had a heart rate monitor and whatever, the Suntu watch. And also, so I was not familiar with running long distances. Like, what if I get lost? Like, if I need a compass. That's how crazy it was. I need a compass to find my way home. And in the woods. And yeah, I had shoes and compression socks. And I would go out. I, I never left the house without some kind of hydration pack on my back. Again, it's crazy. Like if I did a 90 minute run, I had a hydration pack with some toilet paper. Like, what if I got to go to the bathroom? Yeah, but the idea of being adrift for 90 minutes out there on your own, to me, it was just so far. It was like mm. going on a rocket to space. And what happened over the years, it was, was very gradual getting rid of all that stuff. So, once you, get an instinctive feel for your heart rate zones. You, you can kind of sense, oh, got rid of the heart rate monitor, got rid of the watch. And uh, yeah, got rid of the socks. I don't wear socks, got rid of the hydration packs. It's funny what I do now. It's funny what I evolved to is back in, uh, when was 2005? Remember uh, Tony won Leadville for the first time? 2006. It's 2006. I didn't know who the guy was. I was actually at that race. And you see this guy run by. And he's running at 11,000 feet. He's got a pair of like little shorts, little split leg shorts, yep. minimal shoes. And he's got a water bottle stuck like between his ass cheeks uh-huh. in the back of his shorts. And that's it. And this guy is out smashing Leadville. And he won that year and the next year. But I saw that guy. And here I am, hydration pack, and shoes, and compression, watches, and the rest of it. And I didn't set out to model myself after him. But I realized year, years later that I ended up doing exactly what he does. So now I have a collapsible mile. I just stick it in my waistband, throw a pair of shoes, no socks, shirt, and that's it. And what I really value so much is the freedom of being in touch with your body. But there's one kind of bit of a dilemma, which is, hey, it's one thing to be like all oh, love and peace and I'm just going to do what I want. But at the same time, we're always trying to improve. So we're trying to become better and stronger runners. And you can't do that by just saying, I'll do whatever. And so there has to be, to me, a balance between pushing yourself, but not pushing yourself too far. And I think the answer to that is being aware, being aware of what your body is doing and react to that. That's golden, by the way, because it's when we put so much technology and so much noise that we don't get to listen to our bodies or what our bodies are doing. Dr. Lieberman said, if you can hear yourself thump every time your foot strikes, there's something going on in your gait. That alone, if you would have earphones, I'm sure that you would not be hearing yourself thumping. Well, this is another reason, of course, of not only correcting form, but getting to know when you need some water, when you need to just maybe slow down because your breathing is just coming at a higher rate. And I wanted to ask you, chia seeds. You mentioned a lot of chia seeds in that book. Does, do you still put a lot of chia seeds in the, in, on your water or just plain old water, alkaline water? Little both, little both. So it's funny. Out here in Lancaster, I run with some Amish runners. There's an uh, Amish uh, ultramarathon team out mm-hmm. here. And uh, the guys were training for 100. And I was going to meet them. They're doing a long training run. I think it was like a 30 mile day. And I was meeting them at the 15 mile turnaround. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys called me up. He's like, Hey, 
can you bring me some chia seeds? I, I think this is a time to try. And I said, dude, I don't think the time to experiment is the middle of a 30 mile trail run. But, and so I brought him out a bottle with some chia and honey and a little bit of like lemon juice. And again, I'm so used to it that I'm not, it's not remarkable to me, but someone who's in the middle of a hot day on a trail and you hand them cold bottle of water with some nice chia and honey and lemon. And it's just, you took them to the pastry shop. It's like the greatest taste sensation. So I think it's- try that. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, do we have to a friend you mean? Yeah. No, for me too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's amazing. It's because the, as the seeds uh, expand, they become kind of thickening, they thicken the water a little bit. And the honey and the lemon is just bomb combo. I mean, sweet and sour. Yeah. So I got some questions here. I want to give a shout out to um, also Ira and Company, which is a local company here in Miami. I don't know if you're aware of it, but they're asking, what's the best way to strengthen our foot's tendon and muscles? There, um, Self-promotionally, I can say we got Border Run 2 coming out. So we got this book coming out in December, Border Run 2. And it was specifically for that reason, because in the original Border Run, I was kind of telling people like, hey, man, I think this stuff makes sense. I'm not really sure, but I'm really telling the story about my own transformation. And over the years, I've just gotten thousands and thousands of requests for information. People tell me, ask me exactly like that. How can I strengthen my foot core? How can I change my form? What should I do about my Achilles tendonitis? So we have a bunch of exercises. So what we did for Border Run 2 is spell it all out. Like here is the ultimate training guide. But I think one simple thing that anybody could do, I kind of love this exercise, is... The one-stop shop to fix everything is take off your shoes, put your back against the wall, and put it on the sole of Rock Lobster. A Rock Lobster? No. Tell me. By the B-52s. Oh, yes. Now I have <laughs> you know, So the reason why, I don't know how we picked on this one, but it's 90 beats per minute. So Rock Lobster is 90 beats. And so you hit that recommended cadence of 90 beats for each foot. But here's the thing. If you take off your shoes and you put your back against the wall, and you run in place to rock lobster, you can't run wrong. That's the perfect exercise to learn perfect running for. Because when you're running in place, you can't heel strike. When you're running to 90 beats per minute, you can't overstride. And when you stay close to the wall, you can't like lean forward. If you kick back, you kick back, you'll hit the wall. You lean forward, you won't be next to the wall anymore. It's like, I can actually show you a little video that my wife did. I said, hey, just stand against the fence, take off your shoes. And play rock lobster. And I'm like, hey, this works. She looks fantastic. So to me, that's it. You will strengthen your feet. You will strengthen your tendons. And you will learn really good four-foot strike running form by just doing that. And let me ask you, was it gradual for you in the sense of going 25 meters barefoot or just minimal and then going maybe a little bit more? In- yeah. So it happened. It Really, there's two separate phases. So when I first got this idea... I was at the same time training for this 50 mile race in the Copper Canyons that was going to take place in less than a year. And so Eric said, look, you can't change your form and train for this race. So stick with the cushion running shoes. I think I had like the Pegasus, which was not bad cushioned at the time. It's kind of right. weight since then. You stick with these shoes, um, train for the race, and then you can worry about radically going minimalist. I changed my form as much as I could, stayed with the shoes, ran the race. But after the race, I felt like I'm Thor, God of Thunder. I feel like I'm amazing. I got it all figured out. And 
I never did the next step of going minimalist. I kept on running with the cushioned shoes thinking, oh, my form's awesome. I'm just going to stick with these shoes because I got three pairs and they're pretty new. And so I never got rid of the shoes. But then a few months later, my Achilles started to hurt like crap. And then my, I got plantar fasciitis. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? I'm the master of form. Form is supposed to prevent injuries. And so I was in London at the time. And a guy that I knew there said, hey, you should go see this guy, Lee Saxby. And he's like a trainer in this gym somewhere. It's in a basement gym. So whatever. So I go see this guy. And I go, yeah, I got plantar fasciitis. And the reason why is because I'm a, a minimalist runner. I've been running in minimal shoes. And he looks at my peg and says, he goes, those are minimal? Dude, it's, it's a fucking mattress. <laughs> I take those things off. So I take them off. And he has me do a bunch of like squats and then go outside and we're up and down the sidewalk barefoot. And this is in downtown London. And I'm like, who is this guy? I don't know, I don't know why I'm doing this. And then he goes, how do you feel? In my mind, I'm still like doubting him. And then I realize, oh, shit, I feel good. Like, uh, it's better. And he's good, man. Chuck those shoes in the rubbish. Run back to your hotel barefoot. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I did it. So I chuck them in the rubbish. I literally threw them in the trash, ran back to the hotel, through Hyde Park barefoot, walked into my hotel barefoot. And that was it. I've never had a problem with plantar fasciitis or Achilles pain ever since. And so that to me was like, oh, all right. But that was my rock bottom moment where like an alcoholic who's rationalized, right. like, I can have one drink. I'm good. But that was me. Like, oh, I can wear a cushion shoes. I'm good. And then I realized, oh no, I got to get rid of them. And now that's been more than 10 years. And I've had this very sort of visceral reaction to cushioning ever since. I keep thinking, if I wear a cushioned shoe, I will get hurt and I just won't do it. Injuries are skyrocketing more than ever. Another question I have from Starkey Miami 52 he says, how do you maintain running fitness and pace after hitting 60? That's yeah, I just hit 60. I just hit 60 like six months ago. Um, the running fitness part is easy. So when we're done today, Javier, I'm going to take a backpack and we got a bunch of books left over in the house. And my wife figured out where all the little free libraries are. Do you guys have those little free libraries in Miami? No, we do, but it, it's nothing like where you live. You have a lot of culture. Miami has very little culture left. Oh, that's okay. So the, the roads will just be a lot longer for you guys. Exactly. <laughs> but up here in Lancaster, uh, there's like a little six mile loop that my wife mapped out where there's a little free library in front of various people's houses. And so every month or so, I'll just throw a bunch of books and notebooks in the backpack and I'll just run the six mile loop, drop off books, pick up something I like. Uh, I think what I do is I'm not interested in races at all anymore. Just I'll do every once in a while, but I'm really interested in adventure. And so this past Saturday, I was mentioning, I was down in Philly, Black Men Run was doing a Juneteenth run where they ran from mural to mural around the city. These are a bunch of people I'd never met before. It's a city that I love. It was the best, man. It was so fun. So I, I think what I do now is my focus is on what's a cool adventure. Um, in Hawaii, where my wife is from, I like to do this run where I run through the city, through the town, on streets. And then I come to this canal. It's about a half a mile wide. And so then I'll jump into the canal, swim across the canal, and I hop on the other side. I'm on the beach. And then run down the beach. So it's three different terrains in one like eight mile run. And so I'm on pavement, I'm in the water, I'm on sand. The views are all different. That's it, man. I just try and vary things up. 
What I skimmed through, I'm going to start reading Running with Sherman. Yeah. Uh, one of the books that I would have never picked, but it's written by you. It must be good. I'm going to let you say who Sherman is. That is actually a better answer to the Starkey 52's question, which is how to keep it up. So what happened was my daughter, we had a farm in Southern Lancaster County, a super rural area with a lot of Amish neighbors. And my daughter, for her 10th birthday, asked if she could have a donkey, which was ridiculous. But I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe. Why not? Uh, I did find a donkey, but it was uh, seriously sick. It had been really badly mistreated and um, needed to really change its life or it was going to die. And I'm kind of racking my brains. Like, what can I do with this donkey to get moving, to get some exercise? And I remembered that in Colorado, they have burrow race where people would run ultra marathons, like 29 miles next to their donkeys. And they're little side-by-side like running partners. And I thought, it's just pretty cool. Like, I wonder if I can get this donkey to run with me and we can train together and train for this 29-mile race. What I discovered, though, is that getting one donkey to run with you is really hard, but getting three donkeys to run is actually pretty easy, but donkeys are herd animals. Right. So we ended up throwing more donkeys at the problem and <laughs> had two more donkeys and got my wife, Mika, and our friend, Zeke. And together, the three of us started to train with these donkeys Zeke was struggling with some pretty severe depression at the time. And so for him, it was therapeutic. For the donkeys, it was therapeutic. But what I discovered is you cannot force a donkey to do anything. It's not going to do it. And so you may want to run one pace, but you're not in charge. So it was a real lesson in cooperation and um, moderation. So we walk off on a run and didn't matter what my plan was. What's the old phrase? Man disposes, man proposes, God disposes. Chris proposes, Sherman disposes. So I mean, it's like, hey, we're doing a 15 mile run. Sherman's no, I ain't. I'm doing a seven, buddy. So it taught us number one, every day, every time you sit off to run with a donkey, that's an adventure. Something is fun. Number two, there's a gang of us, three donkeys and me, my wife, our friend Z. So that was fun. Um, and then we were constantly trying to vary the route so the donkeys would become familiar with, so they wouldn't be surprised. So every day was a new trail. That was an adventure. And that was basically it. So Running with Sherman is about trying to take this severely sick, injured rescue donkey and then train it for a ultra marathon in Colorado. That's incredible. And I didn't know that they were racist alongside animals. Yeah. And that just opened up a whole new world. To the endurance world, that's such a fascinating world. There's so many cool events like uh, running with donkeys. Who would have ever thought about something like that? Not just going out to your local 5K, which fun once in a while, but I can see why some people get bored of the sport. I guess, but you know what it is? In the end, I don't want to be judgmental of anybody. I was talking to this old lady one time. She's like in her 80s at a local 10K. And I said, hey, so what's the secret? She's like, you know what? I just get out and shake my ass for an hour every day. Like the secret of fitness, shake your ass for an hour. That's all you need. I remember an 80 year old, he just finished the Ironman. They were giving out the trophies and apparently he won his category. He was the only one in his category. They asked him, what is your secret? I raise my heart rate one minute a day. Just one minute, he says. I cannot thank you enough for your time. You have been very generous and I hope that we can do this again in the near future. I hear rumors that there might be a movie of Foreign to Run. 
But curious too, the idea is a limited TV series, an eight episode TV series is where the direction is now. And I'm hoping that within maybe another month or so, we'll get some, some concrete information about that. That would be amazing. Even though I find it very hard to top the book. If you guys want to check Chris's Instagram page, it's, can you say her Instagram page so you can, they can see all your farm animals. You've got plenty of goats. You've got plenty of everything going on there. Yeah. It's like Chris McDougall author is my Instagram. I love also that YouTube clip that you had going for Born to Run 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was super cool. That was fun. And it really had a little video. The devil's little GoPro thing. I record and pull out his GoPro. And all I have footage, he just shot on a whim, but it really came together nice. Yeah. For a guy that doesn't know how to work technology, that's a pretty freaking amazing video. And, <laughs> You're getting there. And Chris, I want to thank you. Really send you a big air hug to you and your wife and your family and all your farm animals. And I hope we can do this again sometime in the near future. Oh, for sure. Listen, you got my email. Anytime, anytime you want to, I'll check back in with you one of these days too, but I'd love to talk to you again. Thank you for having listened to this podcast episode. My main takeaways from my conversation with Chris is that the human body is way too smart and cannot be cheated or lied to. We might think we can escape injury through thick cushion shoes, but the impact is still there. Gradually start running with less cushion. Take your time, learn the skill of running, enjoy the process without being too competitive. What was your favorite part of the show? What resonated with you the most? I would love to read your comments and let's discuss. You can go to my Instagram at Endurance Cartel or you can subscribe by heading over to Apple Podcasts or any channel you might use to listen to your favorite podcast and drop your comment there. If you enjoyed this episode and think some of your friends might enjoy this episode as well, go ahead and share it. Spread the love. This will also help the podcast reach new listeners, which is always a plus. If you want to know when the next episode is coming out or what new events are in the works like seminars or webinars, just head over to EnduranceCartel.com. You can subscribe to our email list and receive the latest information before anyone else. Have a great day, guys, and train smart. Train smart.